if you think to yourself, I wish it was easier, I wish I had more support, I wish I could be more of myself at work, then welcome to the club. The reality is fintech is not that sexy. It is hard work, but it is super fun and fulfilling. Why? Because most of us are in a vulnerable financial position and suffer from money stress. So our job as fintechers is to come up with solutions. Welcome to Fintech Product, the place to be for career advice for women in fintech. I am Moni Millares and I've built a career building digital banks from scratch, both in the UK and Southeast Asia. I strongly believe in togetherness and I'm here to open up, share and bring fintech product and leadership experts together so that you don't have to start from scratch to thrive in your career in fintech. I'm Mexican-British living in Asia and I'm recognized as Singapore 65 fintech product leaders and women in fintech. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode. Today I'm a little bit more excited than usual <laughs> because we've got Ricky Knox. Ricky and I met over seven years ago. He is the founder of Tandem Bank. He is a serial entrepreneur. He's an amazing human being and he's had an amazing impact in my life. Therefore, and I used to work very closely with him sitting together and I learned a lot from him. And there's many questions that I felt like when I left Tandem, I didn't ask him. <laughs> so today I can go and ask him. So Ricky, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, Moni. No, it's fantastic to uh, see you again. We've been in touch since and you've had awesome success venturing off, setting up banks and the other side of the world. It's a real honor to be back here and uh, yeah, very happy to answer your, your, your slightly tricksy questions. <laughs> Thank you, Ricky. Okay. So I think I'll start with something that is very relevant to what's going on in the industry right now and that you've gone through difficult times before as well. So back in 2017, we were in tandem. We had already built a bank maybe for about two or three years or so. You had raised a lot of money. And then it was almost like overnight. Something happened and we lost funding and we went into crisis. And it was really, really hard. And at the same time, it was hard for you, for the whole company. And I had, well, you gave me the privilege and opportunity to be working with you in the board. And I was the secretariat at the board. So I had like exposure of what was going on. And I was like, A, this is very difficult. B, these guys handled this really well. So as we are saying, seeing the economic downturn and like funding kind of drying up, what are your biggest lessons and biggest mistakes from that experience that other founders can leverage on right now? I think there's some, some very specific situations there as well as a few generalizable challenges. What actually happened was we'd secured a funding round from some Chinese investor and during the, after we'd signed the deal, while we were getting change control permission from the Bank of England, the Chinese party conference happened and there was a view from the party and this is all hearsay to be clear we don't have facts on any of this but um, that, that that there were some risky investments going on by certain Chinese firms and in particular in financial services and entertainment was a concern that people were getting overextended and so the plug was pulled post-signature post-legal commitment on on the deal now obviously you know we could have gone into a, a protracted legal battle that 
but not not the smartest thing to do in that situation. And and the and the situation at that point was we were ready to launch the bank. Now we were ready with a fairly rudimentary product set. It was a lot a lot we could have done more and indeed did do more before we launched a year later in 2018. But I think it was sort of if I was to say what were the what were the lessons that came out of it? I mean you know the the immediate and, and and slightly boring lesson was 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 the learning that um, when you're signing contracts in China, the piece of paper doesn't mean much. When the cash arrives, the deal's done. When the deal's in practice, irreversible. Then that then, then you've got a transaction. But but in addition to that, I think there were some um, things that led up to that mm-hmm. uh, to that Chinese transaction, which we could have done better. And I thought it didn't care because at that point, up till. Uh, that exact transaction, we were very much leading both Starling and Monza. We'd raised more money. We were, the, the thing we had not done is we had not launched a prepaid card. So I'm going to generalize this in a moment, but Monza went ahead, despite the fact that it had some regulatory risk of the, you know, and the regulator had been clear, they wouldn't look very kindly on us already operating under someone else's e-money license, but they'd gone ahead and 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 launched a, a prepaid debit card into the UK market. Therefore, we're, you know, building really, you know, tens of thousands of customer base. Meanwhile, we had 10,000 co-founders who are helping us build the bank, but it's not quite the same thing as serving them, you know, a, a debit card, et cetera. So, you know, if I were to generalize one, you know, just get that product out in the customer's hands as early as possible. But two, also be careful that, um, you know, remember as an entrepreneur, it's your responsibility to completely ignore anybody who tells you, you can't do anything and prove how you can do it. Because the fact is yeah. that, you know, we were told we couldn't launch a prepaid card. It would negatively harm our banking license. Monzo did it and they didn't lose their banking license. They didn't get their license till after us. But, uh, but there've been, I mean, hundreds of cases in my entrepreneurial career. Most of the time I turn around and say, no, no, is not the correct answer. <laughs> I know you may not think you're capable of doing it, but we are going to do this. Yeah. And, and and there were probably 50 of those moments of tandem as well. You know, I'm starting with, you know, don't be stupid. You can't launch a bank, you know, which, which I said, no, <laughs> but um, no, so, so I think there's, um, you know, I wish I'd stuck a little closer to my guns there and, 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 you know, particularly with regulators, any external dependency. In fact, if you're, if we're trying to generalize this for, for, for founders, Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, try and avoid those external dependency. B, when you have them, think of shortcuts, think of ways around. B, before the problem accrues, just just be going, okay, shit, you know, if this takes six months longer than they say, you know, whether it's a supplier or a you know, partner or anything, you know, what are my four other options? Or what, where are my outs? How can I how can I get out of this situation? How can I make that person not in my critical path? And and and, and frankly, even start some of them. You know, it, it, obviously, resource is always tight. But if you see something that's looking optimal, I mean, I have a, an example from an entrepreneur I was talking to day before yesterday. Who, again, he started with a sort of critical backend supplier, and it was they were running about a month behind, but it smelled bad. It looked like it could be six months behind. He was going to run out money, completely go bust. He started a little sort of skunkworks project with two of his best devs working on an alternative, which was brand new, super risky, product had no customers, but was an alternative. And and as it happened, it did it did go on an extra month and a half, and they ended up launching with the with the with the brand new startup as their back end, and 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 it seems to have well, it's as little early to tell, but it seems to have worked so far. So so I think I think that you know that was generally the there's a more generalizable lesson there, which was sort of get out there and make sure your customers using your product, make sure you're learning. And, and 
it was it was only indirectly connected to that to that collapse and and the you know the collapse is based on the fact we told the regulator we're about to launch you know regulator said wait till we see the money in the bank <laughs> yeah. we're all ready to go and then suddenly it was like actually don't have this cash and and the challenge was a our bank balance was super low you know the regulator was saying actually potentially lose your you know lose your banking license at least we're going to suspend the process for you right now today so you know suddenly we went from having a bank license with restrictions you know nearly having the 50 million in the bank that we need to launch it and you know having the product ready and the team ready to having no banking license, having no money and having far too large a team to actually sustain for even a few months to go out and raise a new, a new round of funding. So that was the difficult experience that you described. And, and, you know, you've got to be sanguine in those moments. I think experience makes it, it never makes it any more fun, but makes it more at least manageable to understand you're going to get through it. You do have to be, you know, brutal and fast and, and cut deeper than you think you need to cut and all these horrible things when when circumstances change and 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 you know it is one of those moments in the market right now that if you're caught in the wrong point in your funding cycle and you know you might need to trim to make sure that you've got enough runway in my case you know i'm i'm pushing you know in, in the business i'm working on to to bring forward mvp by three months which is you know everybody's screaming but but in my view, you know, six months ago, we could have raised a seed with no MVP in market. Now, if we're going to raise a seed, we need an MVP in market. Even if it's a bit shit, it needs to be working. We need to have customers. We need to be showing some traction metrics. Because it used to be the case you could raise a seed with no traction. But actually, I don't think that's the case anymore in the current environment. So, yeah. Hope I that's love, helpful I, lessons. <laughs> I, I was like, oh my God, this took me back to my times in tandem that I would just learn by sitting next to you and listening to you. I'm like, yeah, that is that is so true. But actually what you say, it's like about basically I summarize that as well as thinking of everything that can go wrong and plan for that. I, I do that a lot, yeah. let's say at work for the big projects. I'm like, this will go wrong and that will go wrong. Oh, Monica. I'm like, I need to think about it because it's likely it will go wrong. And sometimes, yeah, it does, exactly. sometimes it doesn't, but uh, when it does, you're and, kind of already prepared for it. So it's not a such a big exactly, thing. and it's not it's not focusing on those outcomes because it, and you don't want to focus the organization on those outcomes because it's a slightly depressing process. But it's but it's thinking about them and planning for them. Yes, exactly. Exactly, it's about planning in advance. Yeah, awesome. Exactly. Moving on to more light topics. <laughs> <laughs> so you and I, I remember well. You are a very charismatic leader and CEO. You talk to everyone, right, <laughs> in the company. And yes, you do, you do. And then I remember either we were in the pub or the kitchen. And at some point you mentioned about a book that you wrote a long time ago, either about happiness or wisdom. Uh, and we were just talking about, about it before the episode, that it's about basically finding your path in life. I was like, oh, that is such a big topic, such an important topic. So can you expand on what were your thoughts? Like the key or, thoughts um, in that book. Yeah, well, what I was wrote it around, around the time I was turning 30 and I had, I, I was, I was at Indian MBA and, and at the time I'd been sort of a consultant at VC and I was sort of figuring out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And, and I went and mm. read loads and loads of books, 50 books, and, and none of them were really 
helping with the right combination of sort of logical process and sort of, uh, if you like, wisdom and spiritual uh, yeah. inclusion. So, yeah. so you know, there were there were there were logical books about how do you maximize the amount of money you're making in your life, and there were spiritual books that sort of were like blah, sit there and meditate and hope it comes to you. But there wasn't a logical book that said what are the one steps one to ten, which is how I like to think that that then drove through to taking into account spiritual outcomes and things. Yep. And the, the nearest thing I found was actually a book called What Color Is Your Parachute, which is totally generalizable, written ages ago by some American guy who's, um, you know, it's sort of like, do you want to you know, be a cabinet maker or, you know, a gardener mm -hmm. or whatever? It's not, it's not, it's not a business book at all. So, so what I did was I recast and not exactly that book's process because it's a bit different, but for a sort of MBA type logical mind to, to just try and structure sort of search for your path in a way where you were taking into account your kind of spiritual development, your wisdom, where you wanted to get to, with the, you know, what were your real objectives in life and not just the objectives that you maybe thought you had in it, but the objectives that, that you sort of underlying were consistent with your beliefs and your values and and maybe a bit more about where you came from and 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 some process involving talking to your parents and and other people who are older and and perhaps further along that journey had different perspectives from you so gathering all that information and then working through a, a process of sort of how you wanted to trade off these various words because if if you you know if you want to you know pursue spiritual wisdom and at the same time become the richest man in the world those are probably pretty tricky and incompatible outcomes you've got to you've got to you've got to prioritize you know what, what what's most important what's next important what's important after that you know including sort of family kids relationships and all this other stuff and and you know the, there's i mean we, you know obviously there are certain examples of people in the world i don't know say bill gates who would probably pursue you know money and success pretty unequivocally for, for many years and then flipped at a point in their life to sort of pursuing a bit more wisdom and purpose in their life. Mm -hmm. But I think if you talk to the young Bill Gaines, he probably wasn't very purposeful. <laughs> you know, he was he was he was he, he was probably very, very obsessed on winning and 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 all that stuff, which is which is no problem. But unfortunately that path isn't, you know, the path of hey, I'll be a successful billionaire and then and and then and then and then be around for the rest of your life isn't isn't open to many people. It's the sort of one in a billion path rather than the, or you know, arguably one in the entire world's population path, maybe, maybe two or three in the world's population. But, you know, and, and in fact, somebody like, you know, in a way, Mark Zuckerberg is probably more typical, which is, you know, he's, he's still busting his ass 100%, you know, on Facebook, still pursuing fame and glory, money, probably less important now, but, um, you know, through, through that path. So just, just, just taking all these things, recognizing and thinking about the people you want to work with, the people you want to surround yourself with, because, you know, your past, if, if, if you have certain objectives, maybe it's harder to surround yourself by the people you want to be surrounded with and the place you want to live in. What adventures do you want to have in your life? And, and, and try and mix those, those things up in the right brew and then take the right steps and also be cognizant of, of, of what you, what you have, what you're good at and, and what you don't have and what you're not good at so that you can also adjust those expectations a little bit in terms of, you know, what you can, what you can make happen. Yeah. But, but, you know, as, as you know, and, and you're, you're a, a discipline of self-help's the wrong word, but to self-advancement and, yeah. and, 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 and wisdom seeking and, and, and you can make most things happen if you focus on them, that the problem is most people don't spend any time thinking about where they want to be. And so they don't then end up 
at dinner and therefore achieving those goals. And then those goals are, are as much about how you spend the next five minutes, how you spend the next hour, how you spend the next year and, and putting everything off. You know, the, the whole point about finding your path is it's a path. It's not, it's not a destination. The destination's important, but actually the path is, uh, is, right. is, 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 is almost, almost more important than the destination because you may end up somewhere slightly different at the end and you don't want to have wasted all your time. Enjoy the path. Yes. Take care. Yes, <laughs> That's like what that. it was about. <laughs> I love that. And I like the idea of exactly focusing on the path rather than the destination. And also, well, probably it happens to people, but it's happened to me. Sometimes you think you want something and then you start going in the path and then you're like, oh, actually, I don't want that. I thought I wanted that, but I don't want that. And then you have to revert. Totally. And you just have to like deal with that. But it's, but it's part of the path. Exactly, exactly. And talking about path. So when I think Ricky Knox, like the three words that come to my mind are passion, leader, and impact. It's kind of Ricky is all about impact. If, if I want to build a business of impact, I'm like, Ricky, that's the guy. So how, how did you reach to that place of it's important for me to have impact? And how do you merge both business and impact? You know, so I suppose there's two different bits to that. The first one is, 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 is sort of how did I, how did I get there? And then, and then those, you know, how do I think about balancing those? Because I don't yeah. really subscribe to the, hey, if you maximize impact, you're, you're automatically successful in business. There, there are very few situations where I think that, that those are totally aligned. I, they aren't necessarily opposite directions, but they're kind of, they're, they're just slightly different angles. So how do, I, how do I start thinking about it? I mean, first, my aunt was a big influence. My dad's sister is now dead. Was a sort of environmental activist, and 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 what she did was she built. Well, she was one of the leaders in the world's straw bale housing movement. So building straw bale houses in the developing world, turning around up in communities, sitting in a big circle, having a sing song, and then putting a house up in about three hours, which you can do with straw bales. And it's very suitable in extremely hot climates, and also weirdly in extremely cold climates. And then you plaster over the outside of. It. Uh, they're actually in plastic bags to prevent termites and things jumping into your hay bales. But um, steel rebar, it's, it's super cheap as well. You can put the house up for you know five grand or something. So so yeah, she that was a big thing. She built some charity, but she was a sort of deeply spiritual lady, and 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 strongly you know was was early in thinking what everyone else is thinks is pretty obvious now, which is you know we're not really living in harmony with this planet and and uh, and we need to we need to work on managing that a lot better than we are today and so I found her quite inspiring in terms of and and it's interesting because you know I'm sort of heading on a more environmental path now, but actually previously it was a more generalized purpose and actually poverty was a more important issue for me historically and I did a lot mm. of work in in various developing countries but I think there was a um so, so so that was that was sort of one of the instigators I think you know I knew that I wanted to start my own business my dad's family is also very entrepreneurial various people have started businesses various points and actually ironically one of my mum's family I pointed out that there, there was this thing called venture capital which sort of was looking at lots of companies and actually if you're going to start one you might as well go and look at get a bit of pattern recognition learn how other people are doing them and how yeah. that all works and so how you design a, a decent business strategy and a business track consulting she theoretically taught me some of that but didn't really and um, and so so then when i when i left business school i was looking for something 
that combined a in an opportunity to go and see parts of the world that I'd already traveled to, but, but equally, you know, felt that I could have more impact in. So having impact and changing lives and particularly reducing poverty in the UK is quite tricky because people aren't that poor. And yeah. actually the upside from an extra 20 quid a week is probably, you know, very different from an extra 20 quid a week in certain African countries and certain part of the, the more developing world, certainly at the time. And, um, and so uh, after business school, I started GSM Systems, which is building some of the bringing telecoms to some of the developing worlds. We're actually recycling and reusing um, old mobile network infrastructure out of Europe and the States and installing the South, South America, Africa, developing Asia. And, 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 and actually mobile telecoms had a massive impact on poverty alleviation. It was first introduced. A lot of these countries didn't have proper, didn't have normal telephone networks. So mm. they sort of leapfrogging and actually the ability to communicate, you know, might save you, you know, 10 days travel, the old sort of classic adage is, you know, you, you, you could have to take your vegetables to market, you know, if the price was bad, you know, and you just had to sell them anyway, because they would go off before they got to the next market town. You know, if you could call the nearest five market towns, you could then figure out where to go that we'd get decent price for a veg. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, built, built that business, but I suppose the, you know, that was the beginning of my sort of purpose journey, which was, you know, quite very specific. And I, and, and I just found that it was much more motivating particularly yeah. if you're building something which is hard much more motivating building something that um, that you know is going to have a direct impact on you know hopefully uh, you know millions of lives and i think we did in gsm and and so since then i've been moving that across into you know tech fintech through through tandem digital bank and and and, and now on into pensions yeah, more focused on the UK because I've got I've got kids in the UK now. So <laughs> international travel and helping people on the other side of the world has a certain balance. Again, come back exactly. to the path and balance, the balance. Uh, um, between you know spending time with them and investing in them and and, yeah. and 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 helping people on the other side of the world. Awesome, cool. So I think you have a secret. <laughs> well, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but a culture. The culture in tandem was almost magical. Of course, I am biased because I loved it, but uh, other people also liked it, right? Well, we missed you. There was a massive alumni reunion, which I think was a bit of a tribute to our, our culture. We all got together at the Albion about oh, two weeks ago or something. Oh. Uh, we were probably, I mean, Georgia would have invited you if you'd been in country, okay. but yeah. Um, yeah, we had about yeah, 120 uh, tandem alums and it was super fun. Yeah, really. I mean, no, it wasn't. And a lot of people said the same thing, which is, you know, I think, I do think we had a, had a great culture, which was, which was, which was super important. Yes. How did you do it? What was your secret? Because many people say culture, it's everybody's responsibility. It's top down and bottoms up and blah, 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 blah. But I do believe <laughs> after working with you, that culture, like it comes from the big leader. How, how did you go about building that culture? Because everybody has a, the, it, it was somewhat magical without trying to use a cheesy word, but it was super cool. So, I mean, there's two things. I mean, the first one is, you know, particularly if you're building a business, you're going to be coming to work for very long periods and you're going to be investing your time and coming back to your path a bit. I know you want to be hanging out with a group of people who you find interesting, intelligent, and, and part of what sort of guides my choices in terms of business I built as well is building businesses where there's going to be dividends to intelligence because you don't want to again go back to matching sort of well you, what you want and thing you don't, if you if you go and build a business 
you know, in construction, for example, there's very little dividends to intelligence. So you'd have, you know, you'd probably be highly ineffective by hiring a lot of intelligent people for a construction business because uh, we infer any competitive advantage. Whereas I think the financial services is suitably complex, digital technology is complex. The combination of technology and financial services is super complex. And so, you know, you do need smarter people and people who can enjoy, you know, spending time with. I think that the, 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 the answer to how, so I mean, culture is, I'm a big believer in that, you know, people are who they are and people change over time a bit, but, you know, it's, it's the same for relationship advice. It's like, don't go and marry someone or, you know, Try to change friend them in, in, in the hopes that they're going to be a different person at some they point won't. in the future. They are who they are. Yeah. So really the only way you control culture in, a, in an organization, my view is through hiring. And so I interviewed cool. everybody at Tandem and, um, and obviously you then create artifacts and 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 traditions and story then then promote the culture and make sure that you know and, and frankly from from my own perspective you know first of all you know creating an environment in which people can feel comfortable to fail so you can so you can try new things and innovate and but also culture in which people feel safe and happy also where they actually do know their colleagues and and have some friends in in the organization because ultimately you know that just makes everything a lot easier it's so much easier to communicate with people who you like and you you, you enjoy spending time with so so actually promoting people you know building those bonds and those bonds you know they're harder to build now remotely yes do need to but i'm you know if i as i'm building you know new businesses i think i'll push really hard for at least in-person social events because interestingly the in-person social events are the bits where you're building relationships and then those can carry over into a you know transactional zoom conversation and 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 the negotiation of some resource whatever you're working on but i think um, yeah i think the first thing is the first thing is selection and and that's probably the most important thing then I interviewed everyone. And then second thing, I was clear about what I was looking for. And mm. then and and that linked back into purpose as well, which is, you know, and then then there's obviously, you know, how you how you reward people. And so we you know, we had our values as as part of the review process and how, you know, people were specifically, you know, looked at how they were performing both in terms of output, but also in terms of how they were yeah. getting there but it but behaviors which is common but then also in terms of why and 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 how they were displaying purpose and what they did and the company's purpose and what they did and i think i think that you know the, the fact that people know that on the way in means that um, you know you're choosing people who who value that purpose and therefore who are turning up to work not just to make money for themselves and optimize their outcome because if you know, th- those, those people are going to be, you know, harsher to work with. You know, a lot of the big banks have been characterized by a lot of uh, very selfish actors, often very intelligent, very able, but very selfish actors doing, you know, and creating an environment where, you know, you're trying your best to align those misaligned incentives and make sure that them selfishly doing their best to enrich themselves drives the performance of the organization. And it does work really well in certain instances in a trading floor. It's amazing. You know, there's also collaboration situations where where that that breaks down and even building technology is not really an area where that that approach works particularly well. So basically being clear about what you're looking for, collecting, most important. And and then to some extent, you know, what you how you assess and 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 promote and, and and reward people as well and and being honest also occasionally getting rid of people and i wouldn't name any names but there were you know some people who who you know we got it wrong on the way in and and they weren't a good match for the organization and and therefore you know they would be happier somewhere else and so we you know by making making those moves we need to make them as well which is the yeah. unpleasant side of any type of business building yeah but that's important too because if you keep them for too long then it kind of starts damaging the nice 
Exactly, the culture. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I've just recently been working into a company where, um, you know, it's very funny because uh, the CEO, I went to say what business was, but, you know, it's like, oh, God, it's very difficult. I don't know why everyone seems to hate each other and don't know what's happening here. And, um, uh, and I was pretty honest with him. I was just like, look, mate, you know, the level of like mistrust and thing, this has to be you. There's no, there's no other way that, there's no way that these this many people could be in quite such a political and poisonous mood without without this coming from you. You you need to think really hard about what you're rewarding, what you're you know what makes you praise people. Are they being rewarded for kissing your ass? Is that is that the primary you know sort of Motivated. positive outcome that yeah. you're you know that you're that you're asking people to do because it feels like one of those environments where you know it's, it's pretty toxic and so and that that isn't that isn't because you hired a load of toxic people if i'm honest because you just don't get huge groups of toxic people <laughs> that's probably something in the way you're behaving and leading yeah it's it's definitely it, it's it's a challenge but it made a lot easier if you've got the right people in the room yeah that's a very good point yeah you also are an investor so you are a multifaceted personality. <laughs> so you are an investor. Other than, of course, looking at a good business, what do you look at when you're looking at the founder team? Either the founders or the, yeah, the, the founding team. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, I mean, there's, there's lots of there's lots of different things to look for, and so it depends which stage of the business and and you know. But I do a lot of pre-seed investing, which is sort of super 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 early. And I think probably there's a sort of there's a level of of intelligence, which is is this person you know intelligence and decision making, which are exactly the same thing. Which is is this person smart enough to think through the right answer, or at least the best answer for now, and then decisive enough to actually to run with that until it becomes the wrong answer and and to be open enough criticism and self-development that they can detect when something is kind of the wrong answer not to get their ego locked up with the current strategy of the business so they can pivot because you know many many companies will will have to pivot along the way and so i think yeah i mean that sort of intelligence and decision making is probably is probably one of the most important. And second one is, is maybe this isn't the right criterion. I was I was recently looking at my portfolio and the things I turned down and realized that actually I'm not that great at investing. But I have well, I'll, um, I missed a lot of good ones. But and um, the other um the the other piece is passion and sort of excitement about the project because you know you're going to be living through some tough times and if you're not passionate, if you don't believe in what you're doing. Yeah, frankly, you're going to lose interest and you're going to quit at some point, you know, and and the worst thing for an investor is, you know, you've hit, you know, hard times, number one, and it's going to be hard times, number one, two, three, four, and they go, actually, you know, I'm going to go back to my day job, you know, I can't be bothered, you know, and, and, and that, that, you know, that requires passion, persistence, it's hard to judge persistence when you're meeting an entrepreneur. But um, yeah, more recently, I've started doing, because I'm less good at figuring out exactly what's going to win and not, doing a lot more small checks. So uh, essentially, backing a lot more people. So when you're looking for for a company, you sort of be looking at sort of team first, then sort of TAM, which is a combination of business model and addressable market size and growth and, and, and a whole lot of different pieces, how monetizable and sustainable the business can be. And then traction, you know, have they actually demonstrated that they can access this market and, and drive results in it. And um, often in pre-seed, you may only have team there, or but ideally you've got team in TAM, uh, mm-hmm. but even 
in certain instances, I'll invest just on a team basis because I figure they'll actually move their business model. And I'll, I'll tell them if I'm doing that, which is like, look, guys, I think this is, I think you've got business model slightly wrong. <laughs> this isn't going to work, but, yeah, but look, I'll give you some more check and see how it goes. Yeah. So, yeah. And then I do think team composition and not just having one person is quite important as well. You know, I've just seen a um, situation in one of my portfolio companies and she's seen the guy on Friday, but um, he had to fire three co-founders had to fire one of them. And then the other one quit and, 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 you know, things were hard and the business model, they, despite a load of great desktop analysis, just didn't work the way it was a B2B sales model, didn't sell in the way they thought it would. And, 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 you know, it's clear that while the, the entrepreneur was actually, you know, keen and passionate enough, actually his team were not engaged enough. They were older. They were very experienced, but actually they weren't really dedicated to this idea. They like just quite fancy doing a startup and this guy offered them some equity and it sounded good. Yeah. Watching out for those things is, is, is definitely, definitely challenging, yes. but, uh, but, 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 but equally super rewarding when you do find the right guys or girls. Yeah, that's a very good point because probably now it's kind of in <laughs> and trendy to be in the startup yeah. world and many people want to jump from corporate to startup, but it's not easy. <laughs> it's quite demanding. Exactly. <laughs> it's exciting, yes, but it's also demanding. And like you said, like you'll have blocker one and two and three and four. And as a founder or co-founder, like you're investing in the long term. It's not like, oh, I'll go there a year and then leave. It's a you have to grow the company properly. So yeah, oh, that's, totally. a very, that's a very good point. Really, really good point. Yeah. Talking about difficulties, how do you, you and I have this in common. We have a lot of energy. <laughs> we just have a lot of energy, <laughs> but still yeah. we're human. <laughs> so, and we need to manage energy and health and all that stuff. What are your health practices to ensure that you don't burn out and continue with high level of energies? Yeah. So, I mean, I am super boring, but I run every morning. It's not, I'd like to actually find a better way to, to exercise here. I went, uh, spent more time off. So I actually went, did a lot of ski touring, walking up mountains, although it turned out I wasn't quite fit enough to walk up lots of mountains. I also messed my knee up, but I, but I spent three weeks walking up mountains and which was, which was super fun and beautiful. But actually it turns out I need better fitness regime if I'm going to do that next year. I kind of need to get my knee better, but um, no, but, but running every morning, which I, which I still do kind of six, uh, five, six days a week is, is just the easiest thing to do. And actually I've been trying to cycle around London as well. So I, I was, when, when we were hanging out, I was either riding my motorbike or electric bike. I was bike about to ask. Um, <laughs> and and I, still, I still have the motorbike, but I'm actually, I've taken exactly. the motor off my electric bike to cycle and actually try and oh, try cool. and try and try and improve my fitness levels a little bit. So I cycled here today and uh, yeah, I'm getting around London by bicycle mostly. Let's, you know, It'll be, it'll be a month or two when it gets a bit too hot and I may have to revert to my motorbike. But yeah. uh, at the moment, it's pretty nice. So, so yeah, that's, um, that's most of it. Although I think, I think I could upgrade that. And uh, I think maybe I need to incorporate the yoga and some other, some other angles on my exercise regime because just doing Hill Hill sprints every morning is, uh, it's, it's a little mono. I need a little more variety. Yes, that makes sense. But it's like exercise is your thing then to keep the energy up. Exactly. And, and, you know, as you said, I think I'm lucky in that sort of natural quality of energy. And the aspect of the other thing is sleep and making sure that actually, even if I have a few nights with less sleep, that I do get a chance to, you know, catch up, get to bed super freaking early and, 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 and rebalance on the sleep front. 
Yes, that's a good point because it's a downside of being passionate about something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> you get too passionate and then sometimes it can be hard and then you just have to work and the workout and you just like all of a sudden it's late and then it, all of a sudden it's late the next day and then the next day and you're like, oh, I need to sleep. Exactly, exactly. And it's just finding that time to catch up and, and making sure you almost schedule it in if you haven't managed to sort it out anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. I've I've been reading, well, or listening TikTok and podcasts. Sleep is, has much more impact on our health than the priority that we usually give it. Usually we're like exercise, food. Well, actually sleep is sometimes even more important. Yeah, yeah, I know, and I'm lucky. I can I can normally sleep, but sometimes, as, as you say, I don't uh, I don't don't prioritize it enough. So just making sure that I have uh, have some catch up time because I can. If you I can if you give me one night of like 13, 14 hours, I can make up for four or five nights of not quite enough, which is lucky. I'm flexible that way. So yeah, that's awesome. the other bit. <laughs> as we cool. approach to the end of the episode, I'll ask you about women in fintech. What are your thoughts about creating fintechs where women can thrive? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's, you know, it's, it's funny because it's sort of a hypercritical issue and it's, it's very funny because well, and obviously the challenge, I mean, the tech is a big challenge. The fin is a bit less of a challenge, but, but you combine fin and tech and you've got, you know, way that was female participation right the way across the board. And so... Um, and obviously on the engineering front, you know, historically, there's just been a lot less female computer scientists coming out of universities and, and so with the sort of stock of people who, who, you can, who you can hire on the engineering side is very limited. But the interesting thing is I do think that the, well, first let's talk about, you know, affirmative action, if you like. I mean, it's funny because conferences have had a, an interesting knock-on effect. So, for example, like when let me say this, but Mike used to get now quite annoyed because you know they were like Mike we really want you to come and speak we want Asma to come and speak at our conference but actually we, we want a woman because we've got enough men and we don't we don't want so so you can't speak <laughs> we'd like Dora or you know Marta or one of your sort of co-founders or or, or senior senior ladies along because we need women on our panels and and, and actually that has driven a, I think a, an awareness and and you know certainly you know today you know even walking to a VC with a leadership team that's all white and male, like you look stupid. Like, you know, there's somebody who's judging you the moment you walk into that meeting going, I'm not sure I can invest in these guys. You know, I mean, even worse, white, old and, and, and male. I mean, but you know, it, it, it is, I mean, honestly, the, 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 the affirmative prejudice is, is very, very, very strong at the moment. And so I think that, that that's good. A, I think that, I think that's super positive. You know, I've heard, had conversations with VC just describe teams as in uninvestable because they don't have any female representation, which is, you know, not something I would have heard five or 10 years ago for sure. And, and so I think, I think that's, I think there's lots of positive change, but how do you create a culture that's, um, that's sort of welcoming and safe and feels, yeah. and, and I think, I think the, um, you know, one of the, one of the key challenges is, um, you know, again, it's it back to who you're hiring and, and, and there's a certain sort of male cultures and, you know, traditionally sort of stockbrokers and people like this, where, where, where a sort of very high level of aggression and, and sort of, you know, what, what may appear as, as sort of joshing or, you know, sort of, you know, in jokes are, are, are fine, but actually a lot of that stuff is, you know, 
is 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 pretty tough on anybody, on men as well, yeah. you know, more introverted men as well. And 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 if you're building, I mean, frankly, if you're building a technology company, it's actually quite interesting because some of the things that engineers need to thrive are, are often similar things that you need to build a culture where women can thrive. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if you have space, a culture space. where safe space, if you have a culture where which is very confrontational, and there's don't get me wrong, there's some engineers who can be very, you know, autistic. But but yet super confrontational. But but equally, think somewhere where you allow voices to be heard, you allow for introverts as well as extroverts yeah. in the team to actually have the time and space to speak up, and and ultimately somewhere where some of the some of the some of the some of the strengths that women bring to the table are openly recognised as well in terms of in, in terms of actually you know certainly when when we're building you know teams and whether they're squads or you know scrum teams or whatever it is you know having a mix. Of even two women in a scrum team super important because actually the you know, they they will Come almost and they will they will change the composition of the discussion and the the way in which the overall team behaves and actually it just much better behaved it sounds a bit stupid but like, you know those <laughs> those 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 sort of mixed male female teams I mean I don't know I've not I've not an, ever had enough women to have only women teams I think they can probably be badly behaved as well in a different direction but I think I think that 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 mixed team composition is super important and and it keeps everybody you know the standards of behavior at a certain level and you know you know it's, it's just suddenly thinking of like Trump and suddenly what you know, he felt was acceptable, but, you know, he, in politics, there's, there's been, you know, historically a sort of level of a very clear norms and, and obviously in back rooms, they weren't always acceptable, but in, but in, in the, in the sort of front office and when, when it, in, in, in public, everybody used to have some certain, certain codes of conduct, but, you know, Trump's gone and trashed those, you know, you need to have codes of conduct that, that aren't Trump, that are a bit more Obama, that, that allow people to, you know, where, where it's just not okay to insult people or, or comment on, on certain stuff. So everybody just feels, feels safe and happy. And that doesn't just apply to women, applies to LGBT, other minorities, whether they're minority beliefs or, you know, religions or, you know, there's a whole load of different stuff you just need to take account of. And, and that's, uh, I think people are much more cognizant of it than they, than they were. And certainly, you know, in my sort of founders groups and things, I think that the general view, even though founders are still primarily male is, you know, people are very much in the, in the camp of this needs to be created where we're creating a safe space for everybody and allowing for the benefits of that diversity, as well as, as well as frankly, allowing us to hire and retain people in, in yeah. today's day and age, anybody under 30 and, uh, you know, I think tolerance for any of that crap has definitely yeah. decreased on the male and female side. Yes. That it was a very insightful answer. <laughs> Thank you, Ricky. I'm very conscious of time. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you in the show. Yeah. Thank you so been much. It's been absolutely fantastic to see you. And yeah, yeah no, look forward to, to hearing more about your next chapter and seeing whether we can collaborate on, uh, on you bringing digital banking to more parts of the world. I've, uh, I'm, 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 I'm mainly focusing on fixing UK pensions next, but, uh, but when I'm done with that, a bit of, a bit of saving the planet from a, environmental perspective and 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 certainly cheering from the sidelines as others go and continue the digital banking revolution yes. be fantastic so yes. look forward to talking about that more in the future let's talk about a date we will we will thank you ricky thank you cool. everyone have an amazing day and see you next week hello again it's been an absolute pleasure I learned tons from this conversation and hopefully you gained some insights, knowledge, or inspiration. 
It could mean the world if you follow, share, and rate the show because it gives me feedback. And remember, if you have fintech, product, career, or life direction questions, reach out. I'm always happy to help. Go to my LinkedIn page, Monica Millares, and send me a connection request. DM me and book time for a free mentoring session. See you next week. Ciao, ciao.